Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning, and this is the time where we dismiss our, our young ones for children's church. So if you've got children in that age range, three to second grade, they can head out uh, those doors to the other building. There's a, a staffed nursery over there as well, and then uh, we have our cry room uh, in the back of, of this building if you need any of that. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're, we're glad that you are here and, and grateful that you've taken time to, to join us for worship this morning. Uh, we, we don't always mention it, but we do have some visitor cards in the back on that table in the back. If you haven't filled out one of those, uh, that just helps us get to know you a little better, have the opportunity to follow up with you, uh, things like that. So those are in the back, back there. Um, and then if you're ever, if you've been visiting with us or here today for the first time or, or whatever, but are looking for kind of ways to connect further. Uh, we've got classes that, that are now kind of getting back into the full swing that meet after our worship time on Sunday mornings. We gather on Wednesday nights as well for, for a meal and for, uh, for classes on Wednesday. Uh, we've got small groups uh, that meet at different times on, on various Sundays. And so um, any, any of those options that may best fit you, we'd, we'd, we'd welcome you at, at any of those and uh, invite you to, to get to know us a little better in some of those settings. Uh, I think we, we probably all have those, those moments in life that are kind of big moments, and, and, and you may be able to say, you know, I remember where I was when this happened, right? Like, I remember where I was when, when the planes hit the Twin Towers, or I remember where I was when sort of big news stories or events happen. And then if you're like me, you may have kind of random moments that may not be big for anyone else, but you may remember exactly where you were. And so I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard about this particular news story that we're about to watch a clip from. You may or may not remember it. It's a story from about five, uh, five or so years ago, uh, but I remember it for very specific reasons. And so we're going to watch a clip of this, and then uh, I'll explain a little more. It is an unexpected sight as you cruise the waters of Lake Whitney. It's just ridiculous putting it that close to the water. A nearly million dollar home dangling off a cliff. And that's what we kept looking and looking and looking to see if anything was going to happen right then. Neighbors Connie Ash and Jackie McNamara have been glued to their binoculars since Tuesday when they first heard and then saw the land beneath this home give way. This morning, they discovered the back porch had collapsed into the lake. From the water, you can now see straight into the house. What else is it going to do except fall in? That's the question now, when or even if the rest of the home will collapse. Experts aren't sure what is causing the land to crack. I mean, we may not see another movement for you know, several months. You know, who knows, or it could... Uh... You know, these rains coming in could soften the ground below it, and it could go away sooner than that. Documents show a husband and wife have owned this home since 2012. It was built in 2008. Authorities say the couple became aware of a crack in the cliff earlier this year and had moved out all their belongings as a precaution. Well, they're currently out of town watching this all play out from afar. I have never seen anything like this. Not in Texas. We were allowed into the gated community of White Bluff this afternoon and saw security guarding the home from the front. But from the back, an entirely different picture of a home vulnerable, unprotected, collapsing piece by piece. All right. Uh, that's my hometown of Whitney, Texas. I worked at the golf course at White Bluff when I was in high school. Uh, and so I remember... 
for some reason, I was walking into the P.F. Chang's in the woodlands north of Houston, (laughs) and on CNN was White Bluff and this house. And I thought, well, that's something you don't see every day. Carol Carol and I may be the only ones who have a deeper connection to that. Carol, uh, you lived in White Bluff, didn't you, or around it? Yeah, in White Bluff. So Carol and I, we have White Bluff roots. Um, (laughs) And so I remember seeing White Bluff in Whitney, Texas on CNN, And then hearing those quotes that don't necessarily make Whitney look that great, like it's a little ridiculous to put it that close to the water. But, okay, it wasn't that close to the water when they built it. Like, that's kind of the point. (laughs) Some of the cliff has already fallen in the water that makes it appear now closer. Uh, But this house started, this cliff that this house was on started eroding away, and huge chunks of it just started falling into the lake. And, and so they didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, so as, as they said in the story, they had to move all, all of their stuff out. Um, and they eventually decided that the best thing they could do would be, the only thing they could do would be to set the house on fire, uh, that this was the only safe option for public safety. They had to set the house on fire, let it all fall down below. Um, and so you can see in this next picture then, this is after the house is completely gone over here. My light's not very bright anymore. Uh, And then there's this long crack line you can see, which is the big problem here. This cliff used to go out all the way over here, which is why that house wasn't always that close to the water. This is where the house was. Uh, You can see that long crack. And then in the next picture, this is after that that whole cliff, then the whole bluff fell into the lake. Um, And so you can see along here, man, my light, it decided to go out. The sound and my light were both working fine at 9 o'clock this morning. So that's what happens. Uh, But that whole bluff, that whole cliff, has now fallen into the water. And so there are all kind of interviews with the couple that owned this home. Uh, It was about a $700,000 home uh, that they didn't even think because of the way that it went down, um, because they they thought it might not even be covered by insurance. I never heard that, the final part of that story. But a $700,000 home just gone. Now, that's terrible, but before you feel too bad for the couple, this was their second house. Their, their main house was on Miami Beach. <laughs> They're okay. They're doing all right. Uh, still, a $700,000 house is a $700,000 house that's now just in the lake. And, and so in, in one of the interviews uh, they, that they gave about it, they talked about how they had all these people come out before they bought the house, and they had all kinds of tests done on it, and geologists looked at it and said, yeah, everything's good. Because you know that's the first question they get asked by everyone after this happens, right? Like, did you know this was going to happen? Like, no, we bought a $700,000 house and didn't know, <laughs> didn't know anything. Um, and, but that's kind of the challenging part of it. Is because you can do things that will convince you, I'm on solid ground, everything's good. Um, and there's a deceptive quality to that if we don't know for sure what our foundation is and what's underneath us. Because it can build this false sense of, of security. And so we, get a, we, we run into problems then when we convince ourselves that we're on solid ground. But in actuality, the ground beneath us is ready to crumble and give way at any moment. You may have even heard the, I don't know who that guy was that was talking to some official or something, and he said, you know, it may be here for a few more months, or he said, you know, if, if we get a lot of these rains and it softens the ground, who knows what's going to happen to this house. Uh, that may remind you of a story that Jesus tells uh, that we're going to read 
today. Uh, almost word for word. He could have just started quoting scripture there. <laughs> uh, but there's a story that Jesus tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're starting a new series today on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, some of you, do any of you like to read a book but turn to the end of the book first to see how the book ends? Anybody do that? Uh, okay, a couple of people. Uh, so we're turning to the end of this. No? Okay. <laughs> I know several people who do that. Do you do that? No? No? Okay. Well, that, that provoked stark differences in the crowd. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to the end of the sermon first today. We're going to start with the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Because I think when we start with the end of it, it gives us uh, a great lens to view the rest of the sermon through uh, and, and helps us to see this is what Jesus is calling us to in the rest of this sermon. Uh, as I said last week, this is a, it's a challenging sermon in many ways. It's an encouraging sermon. It's a humorous sermon at certain points. Um, but Jesus is, is going to call us to a, a pretty high bar of, of how we are to go about living life. Um, and he ends it with this story that I think uh, ends up giving us a good lens through which we can view the rest of the sermon. So we're going to start at the end today. And as Jesus begins to wrap up the sermon, as he kind of begins to wind down, he, he tells kind of three little anecdotes or stories that are all connected to this common thematic element. And so this starts towards the end of chapter 15, uh, I mean, excuse me, the end of chapter 7 in verse 15, if you want to follow along with us, uh, we're going to start reading here in a little bit, but we just kind of hit a couple of parts before there. In chapter 15, uh, chapter 7, verse 15, he begins there by saying, watch out for false prophets. He says, they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. In other words, they'll, they'll have a certain appearance, they'll be proclaiming to be one thing, but actually they're, they're something else. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Uh, in other words, he says, you know, you can tell what a fruit tree is, what type of fruit tree is, by the type of fruit that it produces. Um, and a good fruit is going to produce good fruit. An apple tree is going to produce apples, not something else. So it's the same way with people. You have to look at what is produced by a person's life. So we see this, he's beginning to, to drive the conversation and the sermon towards actions. It's about what you do, it's about what you produce. He goes on to say then in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, pushing it towards action. It's about what we do. Uh, it's about not only knowing the will of the Father, but then doing it, living it out. And so he wraps all that up then by telling this story. This is in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Uh, this is one of those stories I've, I've said before. I think there are certain, uh, I call them children's ministry stories in our Bible. There are certain stories that, that we teach to our kids, that we talk about in our children's ministry classes. If, if you uh, kind of grew up going to, to children's classes or if you're in children's classes now, uh, it may be even difficult for you to hear that story without singing the song in your head. Right, we, we learned the song, we did all the hand motions, and the rain's coming down, and, and it's, it's hard to, to hear that story without kind of doing it in your head as you go along. Uh, the problem with that sometimes is we can, we can leave those stories there. We can leave those stories in our children's classes and, and for our kids and think, well, I've kind of got that part of things figured out onto other stuff. Uh, but this is the way that Jesus ends this um, this very impactful and, and, and kind of monumental sermon. He ends it with this story. And I think that's one of the, the dangers that we, can, that, that we fall into when, we, when a certain story just kind of takes on a life of its own. We tend to disconnect it from, from whatever else is surrounding it in the context that, that is around it in Scripture. And when Jesus tells this story, he's telling it as the end of this sermon. In other words, all of these things that I'm telling you that I've been telling you in this sermon, all the stuff I've been talking about, you would be wise if you go and do it. Uh, and I think Jesus knows there are people in this audience who are there who are going to think, that was a great sermon, that Jesus, he can really talk, you know, he's good. Um, and then they go home and not much changes. Or, you know, yeah, he, I think he's onto something, but man, that sounds, that sounds pretty hard. <laughs> that would take a lot of work. I'll just kind of go on with life as normal. And so Jesus lays out some tough stuff in this sermon. But he ends it by saying, all right, if you are wise, you will go and do these things. Not just listen, but go and do these things. Uh, And so the early church then, they developed this radical idea uh, that when Jesus said that, he actually meant it. (laughs) That when Jesus said, I want you to go live all this stuff out, that's what they thought he meant. Uh, yeah, we should go do this. And you can hear that sentiment echoed out uh, really in a lot of the rest of the New Testament writings. Um, if, you wanna, if, you, if you're just looking for some extra scripture to read, you can go and read the Sermon on the Mount and then flip over and read James. And you'll hear a lot uh, of, of the same elements and teachings repeated in some places almost word for word in James. Uh, that James is basically taking the Sermon on the Mount and applying it to a context. Um, and you can hear that in a lot of the writings of Scripture. You can hear it um, in, in other um, writings from that time of the early church. But then as time went on, and we get around to kind of about medieval times, uh, there, there began to develop this thought in kind of popular church teachings uh, that the Sermon on the Mount is really kind of laid out for clergy, that, that this is how clergy should be acting. Clergy should be doing all these things that Jesus is talking about here because to expect everyone to love your enemies is just a little unrealistic. Uh, to expect everyone to not worry, uh, how realistic is that, right? Uh, we're going to get angry, so, you know, let's just say that applies to clergy. <laughs> uh, and so after that went on for a while, then there began this thought that actually... What Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is it's almost this subversive message and lesson about God's grace. 
because there began to develop this thought that what Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount is this unattainable life that no one in their right mind could expect you to live all this stuff out. And so what must Jesus be doing here? Well, he must be saying something about God's grace, that, that we are completely reliant on God's grace because no one can live the way that God really ultimately wants us to live. And so we need God's grace, and that's what Jesus is pointing us toward. This sermon is really about our need for a Savior. Uh, now, it is true that we need a Savior, and it is true that we are all in need of God's grace. But that doesn't seem to be the point of the sermon. <laughs> uh, the point of the sermon seems to be, this is the way Jesus wants us to live. Uh, and so you go for a while, and there's a group then known as the Anabaptist that come along. And the Anabaptist had this kind of, this desire to return to Scripture, and, and we want to read Scripture and kind of get back to some of this stuff. And they said, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, like, it seems like Jesus wants us to be doing these things. <laughs> he seems to be serious about this. We kind of think that maybe Jesus wants us to be living this stuff out. And not just some of us, like all of us. But this is something Jesus wants us to be doing. Uh, maybe we need to go back and think about this a little bit more. And so they go back and kind of reintroduce this, this thought that, that then kind of becomes popular in Christian thought again. And I think if we were to think about it theologically, most of us would say that we agree with that understanding of this sermon. That we would agree... Yeah, Jesus, Jesus says all this stuff because he wants us to do it. I think the problem, though, comes when practically we don't always live that out. Uh, theologically, theoretically, yeah, let's do it. Practically, eh. And what we do sometimes is we end up kind of lowering the bar of what Jesus calls us to in this story. And so we may, or in this sermon at least, and the story at the end, uh, and so we may think to ourselves, you know, I know Jesus said that I shouldn't get angry, uh, but Jesus hasn't really spent a day at my office. <laughs> it's rough. And I mean, Jesus walked into the temple and overthrew tables, right? So anger's okay every, every once in a while. So I know he said that, but, you know, maybe sometimes it's okay. Uh, I know Jesus said that, you know, I shouldn't worry but man, Jesus, have you been watching the news lately? <laughs> There's some crazy stuff out there. And so maybe I can, I can worry about these things that are, that are important. And we kind of begin to lower the bar. Uh, Jesus, I know you said that I should feel blessed when people insult me. But man, I don't feel very blessed when people insult me. Uh, and, and so maybe, maybe there's another reaction that I could have there that would still be indicative of my faith. Uh, Jesus, I know you said that I should love my enemies, but not like real enemies, right? We're just talking about people that annoy me, right? Not like, not like enemies' enemies. But no, he said enemies. He said don't worry. He said all these things in this sermon, and then he ends that sermon by saying, all right, now the wise person will go and do this. And, and the issue there is that we can begin to convince ourselves, especially when we go into this kind of lowering the bar, lowering the standard kind of mindset, we can convince ourselves that, that we're doing this okay when we listen, when we internalize 
uh, when we think we understand what Jesus says, and then go out and, and even just sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, kind of pick and choose where and how we apply these things. Um, thinking back to the story about these houses in the house at White Bluff, one of the things that I thought was interesting in, in one of those interviews with the, uh, there was an interview with the couple that owned this house in White Bluff, and in one of the interviews, the woman in this couple says, you don't see how something that huge can get hurt. And if you're looking at it from the outside, you say, well, of course you can. The cliff just gave out. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how well a $700,000 house is built. It doesn't matter how much money you've put into it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how much it costs. If that cliff goes, the house is going. It doesn't matter how big the house is. If the foundation underneath it erodes away, the house is going to go. But you can convince yourself, right, that this house is so, is so strong, it's so well-built, it's so nice, it costs so much money, it's not going to go anywhere. And you can lull yourself into a false sense of security. And I think we can do the same thing in our faith. Uh, we can tell ourselves, well, what re- Jesus is really getting at is this. And we can start to live that out as if we're doing it the way that Jesus has called us to. Or we may even tell ourselves, uh, sometimes we can make faith a mental exercise, uh, where faith is about what I think, and faith is about what I believe, and faith is about having the right theology and having the right opinions and knowing uh, the right answers to certain questions. Uh, But when Jesus talks about wisdom, he doesn't talk about wisdom in terms of, of knowing the right stuff and having the right opinions. He says wisdom is knowing the will of the Father and doing it. Wisdom is when you hear Jesus and listen to his words and go out and do it. Uh, as I said, James, James almost echoes a lot of the stuff uh, in this sermon. And James at one point says this, Do not merely listen to the words, to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Uh, We begin to deceive ourselves when we only listen. We convince ourselves, I'm doing this well. We convince ourselves, Jesus meant that for someone else. We convince ourselves, that's for people whose faith is on better ground than I am. I may be there eventually, but I'm not there yet. We convince ourselves that what Jesus really meant was X, Y, Z. Jesus says, the wise person will go out and do these things. And so... uh, There's an author who died in the 1930s. His name was uh, G.K. Chesterton, which is just a great name. Chesterton. I think I added an extra S in there. Chesterton, who said, The Christian ideal has not been found, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Um, And I think that's true a lot of times, that we read this sermon and think, man, that's really hard. So I'll come up with another plan. Uh, But Jesus says, the wise person will do this. He says elsewhere, my burden is light, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And and we we hear things like that and we read the sermon and we think, how can that be? And I think it's because Jesus knows that, yeah, this stuff is difficult. But if you will live this out, you will be prepared for whatever life throws at you. You'll be prepared for whatever storms come your way. 
uh, storms are going to come to the wise, they're going to come to the foolish. Both of the houses in this story get hit with storms that have the capacity to destroy. But the one that is built on rock is able to withstand it because it's on solid ground. And the solid ground for Jesus is in knowing the will of the Father and doing it. And so I think Jesus knows that when he says he has come to give us life to the full, that he knows and he believes that, yeah, this is difficult, but if you'll live it out, if you'll pursue this in your life, then you're going to have life that is overflowing with joy and with meaning and with blessing, not in superficial blessing that the way that the world thinks about it, but in blessing that the way that Jesus thinks about it, which we'll go to next week when we go back to the beginning of the story. And so I want us to to pay attention to that as we go through this sermon. Uh, We're going to be in this sermon for quite a while. Uh, We're going to be in this sermon for for many weeks as we look at all the different aspects of it that Jesus calls us to. Uh, And I want to challenge us to think about uh, the ways in which we are building and constructing our faith houses, so to speak. Uh, because we can, we can build them by, by listening to Jesus and then kind of uh, making up our own thoughts or plans or interpretations. Or we can say, I hear what Jesus says, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to live that in my life. Uh, and what Jesus tells us is that when we do that, we're building houses with sol- solid foundations that can withstand whatever it is that life throws at us. Um, and yes, we have a need for God's grace. Yes, we have a need for his mercy because there are going to be times uh, when our construction is faulty uh, and when we don't build things quite the right way. Um, and, and we have that grace available to us. But we have one of two responses to the grace of God. One is to recognize and to say, I know the grace of God's going to cover me, so I'm not even going to attempt it. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go with whatever I can do and get by with and know that God's grace is going to cover me and I'll make it in the end. Or we can have this response that says, I I recognize what God has done for me and that the life that he is calling me to is truly life to the fullest and the best way I can possibly live my life. And so my response to God's grace and God's mercy is to believe that and to try to live out to the best of my abilities the life that Jesus is calling me to. Knowing that in those times when I do fall, in those times when my construction abilities aren't quite up to par, Jesus is going to be there to pick me up and to hand me the hammer again and say, let's, let's have another go at it. And so may we be people who are striving to live out the words of Jesus. Maybe we be people who are striving to build our faith houses on solid ground uh, and people who are, are appreciative and grateful for not only Jesus' death, not only his resurrection that we celebrate every Sunday around the table, but for the message and life that he calls us to uh, and, and for the ways that he calls us to embody his, his teachings and his spirit of love, uh, of living life to the fullest, and to of recognizing this life that Jesus is calling us to. Uh, so this morning, as we do every Sunday, we're going to share in the communion meal together. So as the band comes back and we, we begin to think about that, I want to encourage us uh, to think about those things as we share in communion today. Uh, to remember Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection that gives us hope for eternal life. But also to remember the life to which Jesus calls us. Uh, and the calling on, on our life that Jesus puts on us as believers. Uh, and so we're going to sing about that together this morning. We're going to sing about what, what hopefully God is stirring within our, our souls as believers. Uh, and may we be challenged uh, to live out that faith, not only uh, in the ways that we think uh, this week, but in the ways that we act and the things that we do. So would you please stand 
as we sing together, and then we'll share in communion together this morning. standing and pray our prayer of confession together, and then uh, we'll share in communion this morning. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom 
which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.